And so, yeah, they cut her out and this time she went straight to the pediatrician um, and she wasn't breathing and so I didn't even get to hold her. Um, they just took her straight away. I like touched the side of her face for like less than a second and then she was gone. I remember laying on that table and I was like, if something happens to her, I will not survive. And I just remember just laying there. I thought that that lonely feeling occurred um, with Henry, but yeah, in that moment, I just was like, I didn't even get to hold her and she's gone. And now I have no idea where she's gone or what's happened to her. Or I just, again, in that moment, I thought I had one job and I failed again. And I've, the things that I was meant to do, I, I let, I let Henry down and now I've like, the moment. You had, you were like a lot of other babies, you got jaundice. Um, so you had to have, be under the, the light. I had to go on the, what I call the cow, to bottle my milk, um, because you were too tiny, obviously, to um, go on the breast. And so um, you got the milk that way. Um, so it was lovely to be able to to hold you and to feed you and to change you and not be in the humidity crib anymore. Mm. Um, but the hardest part was going home without you because you had to stay in hospital when I came home. Welcome to the RMA podcast. host Nicole Bunyan, founder of Running Mums Australia. Each episode I will be speaking to everyday women who have an inspiring story to tell. We will cover the highs and lows of their own journey, the impact motherhood has had on their life and how running has inspired them to live wilder, dream bigger and change the world around them. Thank you for joining us on this new adventure that will hopefully leave an imprint for you to live out your own life inspired to conquer goals you never thought possible. Hello, welcome back to the RMA podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I know there has been so much going on in our worlds and so much has changed even in the last few weeks. And I just wanted to say I hope that everybody is safe and well wherever you are and no matter what, we can get through these hard times together. I hope you enjoyed the latest episode of the podcast with Samantha O'Farrell. If you haven't had a listen to that episode, please jump back and have a listen. It was a beautiful episode where Samantha talks to us about life and living in the now whilst dying. I got a lot of really incredible feedback on that episode and I really want to thank Samantha for sharing with us at such a vulnerable time in her life. Today I bring to you a really inspiring episode. It's actually going to be a two-part series where we're talking about running for premature babies. I've been wanting to bring this episode to you for quite a while and I was in discussion with Sophie Smith from Running for Premature Babies for quite a long time now and we finally got our act together and um, got the podcast recorded. But before I bring Sophie's episode to you, which will be the next installment, 
I wanted to bring some stories to you about what it is like to have a premature baby. So many of our community are touched by prematurity, whether it be their own babies or someone they know. And I think this is an issue that isn't really talked widely about. Sophie Brown started running for premature babies in 2007 after her late husband, Ash, and her lost their firstborn triplet sons, Henry, Jasper, and Evan, following an extremely premature birth at 24 weeks. Since then, thousands of people have run for this cause, raising more than $4 million for life-saving neonatal equipment and research, which are giving thousands of premature babies a better chance of survival. The Running for Premature Babies Foundation is a registered Australian charity which supports neonatal units in hospitals around the country. And I wanted to showcase this to our wider network. Before we air Sophie's episode, which will be next time, I wanted to share some stories with you about what it's actually like to have a premature baby. So I approached our RMA ambassador, Amy O'Halloran, and Amy has had two premature babies. And I wanted to touch on her experience. As you can see, it was a really difficult time for Amy and Amy still suffers the effects of that traumatic experience today. On top of this, I wanted to touch on what it was like to have a premature baby lots of years ago. And so I interviewed my own mum, Judy Shulstad, on this episode of the podcast, what it was like to have a premature baby 44 years ago when I was born, along with my twin sister, Melanie. Back then, the technology that we have today wasn't as advanced and my mum was told that I would not survive my birth. However, as you'll hear in this episode, I'm a bit of a fighter and I live to tell the tale. So I really wanted to bring these stories to you because so many issues affect the women in our network. And this is one of those major issues that does. And the funding that we can provide to these hospitals through Running for Premature Babies is out of this world. So over the next two episodes, I'll be bringing this issue to light And I hope that you'll join with me in sharing this cause with your wider community and together fundraising for running for premature babies. In this conversation coming up with RMA Ambassador Amy, I wanted to not only share her experience about what it was like to have her two beautiful premature babies, Henry and then Jemima, but I wanted to share a little bit of insight about Amy as well. So we start this conversation with how Amy came to running and what she was like as a child and what running means to her. And then we touch on her experience having her babies. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let me introduce you to Amy O'Halloran. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocram at your local pharmacy. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Well, thank you, Nicole. I'm so honoured to be in this position to be able to talk to you right now. I wanted to have you on the podcast, Amy. We've been talking about having you on for quite a long time, actually, when I first told you about doing the podcast, I said I wanted to have you on. Um, and at that time, you had just had Jemima and uh, your second child. And we were discussing different parts of motherhood and, and different struggles that we have and 
for you um, around having two premature babies. And I was really intrigued with your story. And I found it something that I think a lot of women would resonate with and would love to listen to. Before we start talking about motherhood, let's yeah. talk about you. So do you want to explain to the listeners, you know, who you are, where you live and where you come from, and maybe a little bit about your running journey? Yeah. So, um, hi everyone. I'm Amy. Um, I am a mum. Um, I've got two young little kids, um, a two and a half year old and an 11 month old. Um, so life is very busy. Um, I'm back working four days a week. Um, so life is definitely a bit of a, a juggle between drop off the kids, the work, um, and, and then trying to fit in running as well. Um, but my running story, gosh, I have been running ever since I could. Um, I was always, always at school, before school, um, chasing my sister around and, and always wanting to be um, a part of anything that I could and always wanted to be the best at everything. Um, I, at school, would beat all the boys in the cross country and um, at the athletics days, I would um, run up a few ages and still beat everyone. And um, I, I had really bad asthma though as a child. And I remember asking my mum if I could do little athletics and she said, no, she said, you need to do a year of swimming first um, for your breathing and for your asthma. And then after the year, if you still want to do little athletics, then maybe you can join. <laughs> so I did my year of swimming, um, got my asthma sort of under control. And then my year was up and I was like, mom, I can do little athletics now. Um, and I was eight. <laughs> I was like, I'm running. And then, yeah, so since, eight to how old am I now 32 I pretty much run every single year um, I played every other sport under the sun um, our weekends were spent going from rep touch football to nippers to soccer um, you name it I did it and yeah ran all through high school um, I went over to America for college um, so I spent four years over in America running and then now I've been running Ever since, um, there was a bit of a break in there. I've had, I think I've had the most stress fractures out of anybody I know. I always thought Eloise Mellings had, uh, had a lot of stress fractures, um, but I can say that I actually have beat her in this instance. Um, I've had 16 and wow. a, lot of, a lot of time spent on the sidelines, um, a lot of time spent trying to work out my bones and my health. And somehow all these years later, I still want to run. Mm, wow. And I mean, I think from what you've just said, we could, we could unpack a whole podcast around that. <laughs> yep. um, we might even touch on that a little bit, but uh, you know, obviously you grew up with quite an active lifestyle and a family that was interested in keeping their children active as well. I mean, did you have a lot of encouragement from your mum and dad to be competitive or was it more around just being having fun and getting out with yeah, friends? Yeah, it was a bit of both. I think my dad was, um, he was a really good athlete. Um, and I think I was his little tomboy at the time when I was little. Um, he played rep um, soccer and he did marathons and half marathons. And so now we even joke that I'm like, yes, I'm finally faster than dad when he was 30. Um, but otherwise, yeah, me and my sister, we were just always involved in some kind of sporting activity and we just grew up on the beach and we grew up doing athletics and so yeah it was a good a good environment to grow up in. 
Mm. When you were competing as a junior, moving into your teen years in athletics, did you find um, the culture of athletics for girls a hard place to be? And I'm sort of touching a little bit on the journey around body image and we have talked a lot about, you know, how that plays with women in sport. And was that something that contributed to your stress factors later in life? Did you find that culture as a teen moving into even your young adulthood, a hard place to be in terms of competition? Like, Yeah, I think so. I think like even now when I look back at um, like some of the girls who I used to run with when I was eight um, and they were such like amazing athletes. And then there's a few who are still out there now, um, but so many just got lost in the world of like, but yeah, drinking came involved and boys and partying and those different things. And then trying to be like, oh, I'm going to be, I can't go to the party because I'm, I'm competing on the weekend or um, just that different kind of juggle. And then I think, yeah, with touching on the body image things, it was for your athletics uniform. And, and even now, sometimes I'm like, oh God, I feel like I'm just running in my underpants, yeah. <laughs> which pretty much am. Um, and so I went through a time a lot where I was like, oh, I can't, I didn't want to show my midriff. And I was like, I'd wear baggier things. And, um, and then when, yeah, you're competing, you have to be in like these skin tight um, kind of outfits that definitely um, made you think a lot more. And, and there was a lot of the girls who did stay on, it kind of, there was that trend of the lighter you are, the faster you are. Um, and a lot of girls fell down that. Um, that rabbit hole and hence there's been a lot of yeah a lot of stress fractures and I think that underfueling, um, not knowing about your periods and I think now like it's such a generational change where you can talk about periods or you can talk about body image but I think those teen years when we were going through it it was very like hush hush and, and not not recognized by others who should be recognizing it. Yeah, 100%. Do you think that that's changing a little bit now in terms of athletes or do you think there's still a long way to go? In regards I think there's a long way to go. I think there's some really good movement. Um, but again, then you've got whole, the whole social media um, mm -hmm. and then photos that you can edit and mm -hmm. you see it with girls now and um, just the young girls and they just got, they just elude so much confidence. And then I'm like, oh, do they have that much confidence? Like, in themselves or is it just they got the confidence because they're getting someone to tell them they look amazing yeah definitely and it's you know your ability isn't judged on what you look like on an instagram square like you know you know it's just it is sad to watch and i do see like i follow a few young athletes and yeah i can see this slippery slope that yeah. could you know you could slide down very quickly um I think the more that the older athletes too can foster the culture of what it actually entails to be an athlete in terms of the whole well-being, and that it's not about what we look like. And it might even come down to athletics clubs and athletics in general, changing the, the attire that they have to wear even. Like it could be so many different things to make people feel more comfortable. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's like a whole. That's a whole not a whole other episode where we yep. can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just interesting. I ask this question a lot on the podcast. Um, yeah, athletes, especially ones that have been involved in athletics, 
because so many of you have dealt with this issue. And it's nice to know from the different generations who I've interviewed how they felt about that um, and if they've seen any change there. So, yeah, yeah thanks for sharing that. Um, so let's talk about how you found RMA. How did that come about? Yeah, so it's really funny because I feel like I had always run, um, but always just been like very track focused. Mm. Um, and then when I was pregnant, I was with Henry. Um, I was like, I want to run post Henry, but I don't want to be on the track. Like it's, the track is very insular peninsula um, and trying to juggle having a baby and being at the track and everything was, I was like, that's just not going to work. So I was like, wanted to look for something that I could still feel like a bit of a connection, but um, it wasn't at a certain place that I had to be to feel that connection. Mm. Um, and I'd heard of running Mums Australia um, and I literally came across the Facebook page and then as soon as I saw it, I was like, I want to be a part of that. That looks amazing. Even when I was pregnant, I was like, I want to be a part of that. Um, and then, yeah, just connecting with it and then connecting with you and gosh, I feels like it's just always been a part of what I've been doing now. Mm-hmm. I still remember the first day I met you, which was at the yeah. 10K and you had that, uh, your husband couldn't run. And so you gave me his entry and we met for the first time and yeah, I just had this instant connection with you. I mean, we're like 12 years apart in age. Like, I feel so old. <laughs> but it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't, and feel, it doesn't it, feel like no. that with RMA because we all have that um, similar passion and we all have that connection through motherhood and we understand yeah. each other. So, and it's nice to be able to have connection with women that are older or women that are younger and foster those relationships in our network. And yeah, I feel like, uh, been privileged to get to know you over the last few years better and follow your journey and you've opened up a lot to me about how you feel about different things even with your running and and obviously came on board as an RMA ambassador yeah. because I found you to be so inspiring um, not just because you have talent obviously in your running but just because of the sort of person that you are and you're just so friendly and kind and open and genuine with people you want to help them and you want to share and you want to encourage others no matter where they are in their journey and yeah I think that is what I was always looking for in an ambassador so I'm just saying thank you I was when you I still remember that phone call when you asked me and I I was like what why me like (laughs) even coming on the podcast I was like oh the stories I've listened to have just been so incredible and I'm why? I feel like I'm not up at that caliber of the rest of the people, but um, <laughs> you totally. I, I think, yeah, when I was um, like having to think about this question, I was thinking that, and I even said to Ben, I was like, the, the RMA community, they just, they just seem to get it. I was like, they get the time, they get the drive, they get the passion, they get the struggles where some, I went for a run at work the other day and someone was like, what do you mean you're going for a run at lunch? And I was like, yeah, I'm going out for a run at lunch. And like, oh, God, I couldn't think of anything worse. <laughs> um, and it's just funny when I think about it. And sometimes before races, I look back at the RMA page and I just scroll through um, some of the comments. And it just, there's little things that inspire me where if someone's just so proud that they ran around the block or someone's so proud that they ran their sixth marathon, like the support that 
each person gets it doesn't it doesn't matter what you've done it's the support is still there Mm. Um, and I think that's that's what's so special Mm. I love that I love that uh one of the questions I gave you actually around that was how do you think mums can help themselves achieve their dreams I mean obviously you've achieved some of your dreams what especially even being a mom you know um, yourself after having kids you've achieved things that you set your heart on like what do you think mums can do to aim for their dreams and what I guess we have a bit of a being mums we have all the juggle that we have to yes. do um, how can we make our dreams achievable <laughs> yeah I, I well I've really thought about this and um and I was thinking I think it's just coming down to that that time that you have available and then removing the guilt. That's, I think that's my biggest challenge is the guilt that I have about taking away the time from my family or taking away the time from the kids. I'm like, no, I'm carving out this time to go for a run because this is going to make me a better mom. It's going to make me a better person um, because I just need that. If it's half an hour just to myself where I know that um, that that's my biggest barrier is like, can I make the time to then achieve my my goals um so yeah i think it's about trying to remove that guilt but then with that said like you need to have the support systems in place to to be able to manage that Mm. um and then i was thinking about yeah just i i have some big lofty goals that i often write down just no one else gets to see them um and i think like oh gosh there's no way i can achieve that and then i'm like Oh, I think there's a little little part of me must feel that I might be able to achieve it because I wrote it down. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, just writing, even if they seem like really far-fetched, sometimes I just write them down and I'm like, if everything in the universe aligned, this could potentially happen. Mm, I like that. And I like that you, there's that little flicker inside you, little flicker of hope that thinks it's still possible. So you never know. You know, and it might not be right now, but it yeah. might be in the future. So write it down. And I like that you write it down because you can look, keep looking at it. <laughs> Keeps the fire burning. It does, definitely. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so let's talk about your babies. <laughs> so yes. Henry and Jemima, um, they're both so cute. <laughs> so <laughs> if you haven't seen Henry's babies, just jump onto Instagram and we'll put them in the show notes. You can yeah. have a look. They're just so cute. Like Jemima, I just want to take her home when I see her. <laughs> She's so cute. Um, let's talk about your experience with Henry first, though. Um, obviously, Henry was your first baby. So it was when you became a mum for the first time. And Henry was born premature. But do you want to talk to us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, so I think um, coming into being a first-time mom, I think I was I was definitely a bit naive, um, and I just assumed that I'm young and I'm healthy and I'm fit, and I just had never it never even crossed my mind that that something could possibly go wrong. Um, and I ran a lot through my pregnancy, and I did a lot of reading about like how much I should do, and I did get those comments saying, "Oh, you're doing too much," and um, and I was always like, no, no, like I, I know what I'm doing. I know when to stop. I know when to push. Um, and so I really struggled a bit with, yeah, I was like, but I need to run because, again, it helped my head. It helped my mental health. Um, but 
there was definitely those comments that were like, well, you might be doing too much. And then, lo and behold, um, Henry, I went in for, for an appointment um, at 34 weeks with my obstetrician. And then we were taken to hospital. Um, and I just was like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, the baby could come now? Like, I just, I was like, no, you get to 38 weeks or 40 weeks and that's just the norm, right? Um, and so I just, I couldn't even wrap my head around that that they could come early. Um, but we knew something was wrong and we were, there was a lot of, a lot of distress by all parties. Um, and it kind of was just that we thought everything was going to be okay. And then it went from zero to a hundred in like next minute. And I was like, again, my head couldn't keep up with what was actually occurring. Um, we, I always joke now that um, and even though we didn't do it with Jemima either, but we hadn't even packed the elusive hospital bag that they, everyone says, pack, pack it so you've got it ready in case you need to go. And at this point, we hadn't even set up the cot. We hadn't even set up anything. No. Um, we thought we had plenty of time to do that. Um, but, yeah, a bit of a long story, but um, my placenta ruptured. I was induced. Labour occurred. Uh, Labour started. Um, I had an epidural. Um, it was taking too long and then they broke my waters um, and then next minute alarms were going I was rushed to the operating theatre um, and being told I was doing an emergency c-section um, and I just again my head couldn't keep up with like everything that was going on around me and then the first epidural hadn't worked they gave me a second one like literally on the um, operating theatre and someone else came in and was like, this is taking too long. We have to get the baby out right now. Um, and then I just remember the anaesthetist coming over and he was like, we need to give you a spinal block. And I was like in such a panic. And I was like, what does even that mean? He's like, I need your verbal consent. And I was like, yes, yes. And he's like, but you just, I need your verbal consent that you understand that it could potentially result in paraplegia. And I was just like, I have no idea what's happening right now. I was like, I don't care about me just get my baby out safely. And then the next thing we knew, I was, yeah, being cut open and we welcomed the surprise. We didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, um, our little Henry. And they whisked him away to the side to the pediatrician. Um, and then I did get to hold him for um, a quick 10 second cuddle. And then, and then they were gone. Honestly, my head couldn't, again, couldn't keep up with what happened. I just remember then laying on operating theater, literally my guts are <laughs> out of my body. Um, and that's probably the strangest, loneliest feeling I think I've ever experienced until I experienced again with Jim, but not being able to feel my legs, not having a baby inside me anymore and not having my baby anywhere near me, just gone. And I was just there. Mm. Um, and then I, yeah, didn't get to see him till eight hours later. Um, and he was all up, hooked up to all the machines and the tubes and, there was no nothing that could, could could have prepared me for for those emotions and what what had occurred. Um, mm. I just thought, yeah, it was just such a daze. And then at first they told us that we were looking to be there for the next six weeks. And touch wood, he he did really well. We we only stayed not only, but we were only there for um, three weeks. And every day he kind of just got better. Um, he got gained weight, we kind of worked out the breastfeeding and um, it's funny in hindsight because at the time I thought it was yeah, the worst experience ever. 
but now in, in retrospect I can say like oh we I thought it was the worst but we actually did really well and we were able to bring him home but I think the the guilt that I carried was I, could, I just couldn't shake it I thought um I thought that I'd caused Henry to come early. I thought that everyone was right. I, maybe I did too much or maybe I ran too much. Um, and, and then in the months that followed, every time someone would say, oh, look how small he is. It was just like an instant dagger to my heart that it was like I didn't give him the best start to the life that I should have. Mm. Um, and I think I carried that guilt silently for, for a really long time. Mm. Mm. And did you end up getting clarification on that, that that wasn't probably the reason Henry came early? Yeah, I think I did. Um, a lot of the doctors said that this was like my placenta ruptured. There was nothing that I did specifically that forced it to occur. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it, I, I think I finally had kind of worked through that it wasn't my fault yeah. <laughs> and then I became pregnant again <laughs> yeah yeah and what did it feel like for you like obviously you said like and that was a really long time like you're lying there and you weren't expecting that experience you know nobody expects that experience and you know you see all the the ads and all the beautiful like when you're having your baby and you go to the classes and you think oh I'm gonna have this I'm gonna have that and it's gonna be beautiful and then all of a sudden you rush into an emergency situation like did you think there was any possibility that you might lose Henry during that moment yeah I I think that was the biggest and I think even when the nurse said to me like I was just like I do not care about me mm. um and I think I'll, I'll mention that a bit later when we talk about Jem but obviously you become selfless during your pregnancy um, but in that moment where I, I said to Ben, if it's me or the baby, look after the baby. Like that was without a question. He was like, no, it'll be you. And I'm like, no, it's the baby. Yeah. Like in those like fleeting moments when, yeah, the split decisions being made, I was like, I just, just look after the baby. Yeah. So when you were like out of obviously theatre and I mean, eight, eight hours, that's a long time to not be able to see your baby. Like, what was going through your mind? Like, were they telling you anything? Yeah, I think, like, even Ben said, he was like, I was in, like, a complete different section to the hospital to you. And he's like, I couldn't even, like, call anyone because I couldn't say, oh, we've had the baby. And then he's like, I had no idea if you were okay because they weren't telling it me because apparently like, I lost a lot of blood. Like, it was, right. um, like, when they my scar was a bit skew with because they did it in such a rush and yeah um yeah Ben's like I couldn't even tell anyone that we'd had the, had Henry because I didn't know if you were okay and um vice versa I remember asking the nurse like can I go now can I go now and she's like not yet and I'm like just let me go mm, that's hard that's really really hard and is that something you've had playing you had playing over in your mind for quite a long time yeah, I think absolutely. And then I think, yeah, just the the irony, I guess, about going through it again and then going through it again but worse mm. and then going, working through that, yeah, it wasn't my fault. 
Yeah. But then for it happened again, it's like cements into my head. It's you. Like you did something wrong to cause both your babies to come prematurely. Mm. And that's the, that even now I still struggle with. That's hard. It's really hard. And it, and it wasn't you. <laughs> we know that. We know that. But I can understand that as a mother, that's what goes through your mind um, when you've relived this experience all over again. What was it like for you when you did have Henry and you were in the special care nursery? And like, was that a difficult time? For yeah, you? I guess, again, it was just so un, um, un, like unrealistic. I was like, oh, we, I was able to stay in the hospital for, I guess, the five days. Um, but then like I would spend every waking moment at the hospital, but then we would have to go home. Yeah. And I just couldn't get my head around like, but you go into hospital, you have your baby, you take your baby home with you. And having to leave him there at the end of the day, like Ben would literally be dragging me away and I'd be like, not leaving. He's like, we have to go. And I'm like, but this is just so unusual. And then having to come home and pump at the bloody pumping machine because I had to mimic that I was, mm. that he was there throughout all throughout the night and I feel like that noise of still like mm. gives me nightmares that I think yeah leaving at the end of the day and then yeah pumping at a machine with your baby not there was just the worst mm. and I, I interviewed my mum for this podcast as well um, and it was really interesting 44 years later yeah have her experience of a very similar situation and she really she got quite emotional and upset talking about when she had to leave the hospital and leave us behind and how devastating and lonely that felt and how she never felt so lonely you know in that moment like to be leaving because as mothers like we're meant to have our babies with us you know it's it's the hardest thing ever I think um, I was definitely at times because uh, spending so much time yeah, in the hospital you would see in the NICU and special care nurse who was next to where the birthing suite was there. Um, and sometimes I'd go get a coffee or whatever and I would see the other mums come in and other mums leave with their baby and they'd have their new pram and they'd have the whole family and the balloons and the congratulations. And I felt like a terrible person, but I would be so envious of them I don't wish this upon anyone but at the same time I'm like oh I wish that was me going home with my baby yeah so when were you introduced to running well running for premature babies like when did you hear about yeah, it it's so crazy how that all occurred so obviously I spent a lot of time in this um one kind of chair with with Henry um sometimes like they had a like a, a parent's room um that you could have like a coffee or um just sit and they had a tv and they had flyers there and i read every single flyer i think they had um, and then i came across this running for premature babies and i was like what like i love running i've had a premature baby like this is me in like everything and so i was reading the flyer and then of course i jumped on the instagram i jumped on the facebook page um and like literally i couldn't barely walk the um 200 meters down the corridor because my um, emergency c-section was just so painful and in that moment I was like all right as soon as I can run I'm going to run a half marathon 
and I'm going to run the Sydney Morning Herald Half Marathon. I'm going to run for running for premature babies and I'm going to raise a lot of money for them so they can help other, other families like us. And from then I just literally ingrained everything that I could to be like, what can I do to, to help them? Um, and it's just crazy how full circle it became because I got to meet Sophie and she's just an incredible, incredible person. I, I ran at the, in the Sydney Morning Herald um, half marathon and I was like, right, what can I do? What can I do next? What can I do next? With when Jem came, um, I, I talked quite a lot with Sophie and she happened to live by the Royal Women's Hospital. And um, during the time when Jem was in the hospital, I, I got to stay with Sophie and she would pick me up from the hospital at the end of the day and I was a blubbering mess and she would take me home to her house and make me a tea and give me chocolate and put me to bed and pretty much then drop me back to the hospital in the morning and mm. she's just incredible. Oh, and that's so beautiful because obviously, you know, her charity does such amazing things for people. But as a person, she goes obviously above and beyond um, because she knows what it's like and she's been in those shoes and she wants to help people so I mean I can't wait to talk to her as well but for those that don't know and obviously we're introducing running for premature babies on this podcast um do you want to tell the listeners what running for premature babies is and what they do yeah so the organization was designed um by Sophie um she had three beautiful boys who um she unfortunately lost due to their prematurity um and from that moment she just was like, I can't let other families go through this again. We need to to raise money for funds that can help um, other premature babies. And it just, yeah, again, the irony, the incubator that Jem stayed in for two weeks um, was actually funded by Running for Premature Babies Foundation. And just like seeing their connection and being like, okay, that money that they raised actually went to that incubator that Jem was in. And then even at Royal Women's, um, the, the parents' room, um, rooms were named after Sophie's babies. And I just think that, yeah, sometimes you think like, oh, another charity, but this one, like, you know, the, the money is actually like going straight to, to the hospital and, and the funds that they're doing. And, and I even think raising the awareness that they raise yeah. as well has just, just opened my eyes up to just so much and then to hearing so many other stories who are part of that um it's just yeah it's just incredible and it's interesting because you don't hear a lot about premature babies like you actually don't so I think it's really important that a foundation like running for premature babies exists because it is creating obviously not only raising funds but creating that awareness I mean I don't know any other charity that I can associate no. premature babies with. No, no, me neither. And it was just that, yeah, that saw that flyer in that room. And it's like, yeah, just been such a part of my life now for the past um, two years. And Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's interesting because obviously I was a premature baby eight weeks or something preemie mum said like between six and eight back then they couldn't really stage you as well but like I said I weighed 
1.4 kilos or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And yeah. to be able to have had a foundation like that back then even would have been just a game changer in terms of having the resources in a hospital. Do you know how much like one of the incubators costs, for example? That is a good question. I will have to double check that, but I, I, they're, they're very expensive. I think they're upwards of $50,000. Right. Mm. Yeah. Because they have to be, um, like Gems one specifically was, um, had to be like heat monitored. Um, mm. And then with all the tubes and the cords and the, um, this one had the jaundice light, um, the blue light that it could do as well. Um, there's just, there was so much technology involved in that one little incubator. Mm. Um, but yeah, even on the incubator, it had um, the, the badge of running for premature babies. And I just thought, oh, I can't believe that Jim's in, in one of these. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that beautiful when you see that and you think, I've actually been associated with this charity and you get to see on the ground it actually doing what it's doing. Like, it's just amazing. I love that. I love that. And hopefully, you know, a lot of people are listening to this who can get behind this charity and can make a bigger difference so that they can get more of these incubators. Yeah, absolutely. In my um, Instagram bio, I have um, the link to running for premature babies and then um, a page. So I'll make sure I update that. Um, so yeah. Yeah, anyone can have a look at that. Too. Yeah. Well, we'll be putting it on the bottom of the show notes as well. And obviously the next episode will be all about that and having that yeah. in there as well. Um, so let's talk about your running journey just after that. So when you've had Henry and you, you set yourself this goal to run the half marathon um, for running for premature babies, how did you go getting back into running after being a first time mom? What did that experience feel like for you? Yeah, it was, um, again, it was, it was all about time management. Um, I, I think I just being my eager, naive self, I was like, oh, I'll be able to run straight away. Mm -hmm. No, you cannot run straight away. <laughs> and so I was like, right, I, I am going to do all the right things. I am going to go to the physio. I am going to get my, um, my scar checked first. Um, I think even the second time around, I, I learned a little bit more of like what I should have done the first time. Um, but I, I think I was just, I had set this goal. I'd never run a half marathon before. I'd never run really everything I did on the track was like 1500 was a long, a long way to me. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I'm, I'm going to do it. And, and it didn't matter about the time. Um, some weeks at first I managed to run like two Ks and, um, and I was like, oh gosh, 21 Ks is one's a long way compared to my two Ks. But I just started really small and then I worked, I worked my way up. I think my furthest run was 18 Ks. Mm. But I just knew like the adrenaline I would have on the day um, would would get me there. And again, it was about it wasn't about the time or the placings or I just wanted to to run to prove to myself that it's gonna hurt. Um, that's a given, but I can get through it just like I got through, through getting through Henry. And I was like, no matter how tired I feel, it's not going to compare to those weeks that we spent in the NICU. And it was just it was something that I just wanted to achieve, maybe a bit selfishly, but just achieve for me that I'm, I can do hard things. I think I'd still say to this day, it's one of the best races 
I've ever done. Not about the time, but I literally was running and I had tears like streaming down my face as I was running. And then at some points I was laughing and <laughs> I just, it was just one of those, yeah. And then when I saw Henry and my family um, along the course, that just made me cry even more. Um, mm. And then at the finish line, it was just, I just was like, oh my God, I'm a half marathoner. Um, and my family is here. And, and that was just, yeah, super special. So how old was Henry then when you... Oh gosh, Henry was just nearly eight months. So yeah. he was about six months. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was, again, I, I had built up quite slowly. Um, tried to just do all the right things to to look after myself feels like oh, I'm never getting another stress fracture again. 16 mm-hmm. is my limit. Um, and I know a lot of um, women who have been running their postpartum um, does affect your bone density and um, with breastfeeding and so forth. So I was really conscious that um, when I was breastfeeding and that I needed to eat a, a stunt, <laughs> a lot, I needed to eat a lot. And, um, yeah, I wasn't trying to, to bounce back to my pre-baby body. I was like, yep, I've got some extra. Um, and Ben always said, he's like, I like you much more like this. <laughs> like, <laughs> With a little bit of extra on you. And he's like, your boobs. I've never seen your boobs so big in my life. <laughs> oh, that's what he liked, right. <laughs> I was like, I know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think, and then again, the second time around is, again, just so much focus on yeah I need to eat I need to eat a lot I'm burning a lot of calories I need to I need to eat and and not even throughout both pregnancies I've never once weighed myself um even when the doctors were doing it I was like not gonna look like I yeah previously fell into that trap I was like what do I weigh what do I weigh like, no mm-hmm. I it doesn't matter yeah I just and post yeah I never weighed myself I was like just want to be healthy yeah and that's such a trap that people can get into like after having babies is wanting to bounce back to this this conception of pre-body pre-baby body whatever that is but like nobody's really ever going to go back to exactly the way they were before you you know had your baby like everything changes you when you have a baby your hips everything changes and i think the more that we embrace motherhood and embrace those changes the better it will be for everybody because Sometimes it's like, like, as your husband said, it's, it makes you, you know, more curvy and <laughs> a little bit more sexy. I don't know, but it's, um, you know, we've got to really remember that we're a vehicle to birth these babies and that it's a privilege to be a mother and that our ba- our bodies are, are like a temple. Like we need to look after them. We need to nourish it. We need to look after it so that we can look after our babies and it doesn't matter if we're holding a few more kilos. Like it does not matter. We're just lucky that we got to have our babies. So I think, you know, that's such an important message that we need to embrace and share. And I think, yeah, I I feel like I did get some comments like, oh my gosh, you're back to your pre. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like my body is different. I do have boobs now and I do have Ben always used to say like if I ran too much he'd say my butt would be like a pancake butt and <laughs> he's like your butt's not a pancake butt which is good yeah um, and I think yeah just shifting that mindset of like yeah I'm I'm happier and healthier mm. 
post babies and touch wood it, it's shown in that my my body is cooperating with the demands of motherhood and running and mm -hmm. i'm not getting injured because i am looking after myself yes yeah and i think too as you get older and just a little bit more wise maybe um the focus changes it really fixates so much on that like we once did because we have little people to care about and worry about we don't have to be worrying about every little thing about our body anymore and i think we should, we're proud of what we've achieved i guess in terms of being able to have them and and what we can do um instead of what we look like so and as as we've proved like in all the different things that we do as running mums like our bodies are amazing and that they can achieve pretty incredible things even as mothers so yes that's what we really need to be focusing on absolutely so let's talk about your second experience of motherhood um which was when you had jemima so obviously you'd had henry um how how far apart in age are they they're uh 20 months apart so quite quick after henry you were pregnant with jemima and what was that experience like for you through pregnancy and then subsequently her birth yeah so it definitely um was a bit sooner than we had first expected um i think yeah post um henry and post that first half marathon i then um, kind of really delved into to competing um and i was running pb after pb um from yeah 5ks to, to the half marathon and um i i kind of had thought like right i'm kind of can mix it with with the best Aussie girls um, in Australia and I they came uh, eighth in the Australian Road Running Championships and I kind of was like wow like I could nearly be like no I'm not going to ever be the best but I'm like actually mixing it with the best mm. um, and so all focus was going to be um, in December on the track at the Zadapak um, 10,000 meters and again I was like oh I can't believe I've even qualified and and it was three weeks before that race that I had a run and it was just it was terrible. I was like, I just feel like I've been hit by a bus. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, maybe I'm coming down with a cold. The next day I tried to run again and I was like, what? <laughs> um, and then I had a pregnancy test and I was like, oh, I'm just going to do it. Like, it, it won't be pregnant. I can't be pregnant. Like, I'm literally running so well and it's like too close to Henry next thing the pregnancy test is pregnant and i was like oh, oh my goodness like oh my god i remember ben wasn't there i was caught, he was at work and i quoted him probably like a hundred times i'm in a meeting what's wrong and i was like i'm pregnant he's like no you're not i was like i am he's like oh god okay i'm coming home so it was yeah it was obviously exciting but um it was a bit of a shock <laughs> yeah. um, just how, how quickly it happened. And then I think as soon as I had found out, I literally, all those feelings came back from, from Henry and I was like, not that I think I did, well, that's what I'm still working through, anything wrong with Henry, but I was like, this time I am going to do everything right. I, this baby's cooking to 42 weeks and I will do anything that I can to make sure that this baby doesn't come early. Um, last time I felt a little bit naive, where this time I think I was armed with 
so much information, maybe too much information. Mm. Um, and at every doctor's appointment and every midwife appointment, I was like, what can I do to not let this happen again? Um, and they, again, said like, that was a bit of a freak accident. It's unlikely. It's very, 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 very uncommon if it were to happen again. And then, yeah, 2020. Um, I know everybody had a really, really tough year, um, especially those in Melbourne. Um, and I think, yeah, my heart just goes out to everyone, but especially to those those mums who were pregnant during that time and with all the COVID restrictions. And I really struggled with having to attend all the appointments by myself because Ben couldn't come and Ben couldn't see our baby on the scan. And, and I just, it really, I, I understood, but I just, it irked me so much. I was like, but it's a partnership, this pregnancy. It's not just me. Like my husband should be able to come in to this appointment. Um, so I, yeah, really had to work through that, yeah, Ben can't come to the appointments. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, definitely heightened my anxiety even more because I think I was just so anxious the whole pregnancy about not letting it happen again. Yeah. Um, and then it was around 22 weeks. Um, Henry was 18 months. I, I had a, another huge life moment occur. Um, We'll save that for another time. Um, but it definitely it definitely shattered my, my self-worth. Um, mm. And I really, really struggled. And I was like, I'm 22 weeks pregnant. I have an 18-month-old. I'm not eating. I'm not sleeping. I'm crying all day. I, this, I was taking sleeping tablets. It was just, um, it was rock bottom. And, yeah, I'm just so thankful for, Ben and Henry and the belly I had at the time that um made me try to focus on on those good things um to get through that um and I was at an appointment by myself at 33 weeks and I was just so anxious about I was like we're just going to get through this appointment and the next week will be 34 and I'll have made it to where Henry did and we'll be okay and on the scan um the sonographer was going around and and I just knew, like, her face, um, and she said, I'll be right back. And mm. I just went, no, like, what do you mean? I was like, where are you going? She's like, I'll be back. And I was like, come back here. And I, I, I did. I had a panic attack because I just, she'd left. Ben wasn't there. And I was like, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. Um, and then, lo and behold, we got transferred in an ambulance um and then only a few short hours later Jem um arrived and I just even now I just still can't even comprehend that it it happened again and it was it was similar but it was even worse like I I still even now I feel like it was a video game that I I literally can see myself looking down and from the alarms to the nurses rushing to everyone like they were zigzagging me down the hallway um I just it just was a blur um and this time it was a lot it was a lot more serious um and Jen was yeah the week and a half pre Henry so her development her lungs hadn't developed um and I again I think I said earlier on like I was like 
I do not care. And I literally said to Ben, like, I don't care if I die. Just save the baby. Mm. And so, yeah, they cut her out. And this time she went straight to the pediatrician. Um, she wasn't breathing. And so I didn't even get to hold her. Um, they just took her straight away. I, like, touched the side of her face for, like, less than a second. And then she was gone. And I just, I remember laying on that table and I was like, if, if something happens to her, like, I will not survive. Like, I will not be able to keep going. And I just remember just laying there. I thought that that lonely feeling occurred um, with Henry. But, yeah, in that moment I just I was like, I didn't even get to hold her and she's gone. And now I have no idea where she's gone or what's happened to her. Or I just, again, in that moment I thought I had one job and I failed again. And I've the things that I was meant to do, I I let I let Henry down, and now I've let Jemima down. Hmm. But obviously, we know that it wasn't you that's let them down, <laughs> and we know that's something you're still working through, and it will take a while to get through that. Um, and I'm sure any mother would probably have exactly those feelings that was going through that as well. But what sort of things? did help get you through that time? I think what ended up helping me was, I think this was like the rock bottom and I knew that I needed help. I, I think the way I framed it to myself, because I always thought like, oh, the help, like, mm. you can't do that. Um, you're meant to have it all together. Um, and I framed it in my, to myself that I wasn't asking for help for me. I was asking for help for Henry and for Jemima. So I think... But so I, I kind of said so it was so they could have a better mum. Mm. And I think a lot of people would feel a lot of shame. And I think I have for, for a long, long time felt shame. Um, but yeah, that I wasn't coping and that I needed help. And I, as you said before, like I wondered, like, should I have coped better? And then some of me was like, should I have coped worse? Like, how would any normal person react to this situation? Um, and that's what I really struggled in my head, saying, like, is this abnormal or is this how you would react? Um, and so we went through the whole, oh, you've got postnatal depression um, or post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and they, I, I had been seeing um, a, a psychologist who, who specialised in postnatal depression and yeah, and I, I guess like to this day, I, I do take an antidepressant and I, I think, yeah, in thinking about what I could do to help other people would be that you just need to ask for help if you're not coping. And, and I think, yeah, I know there's talk, so much talk about stigma and mental health and I think those who who know what it's like and how lonely that experience can be and yeah that shame where I'm like I I don't want to feel shameful I want to be like yep this was a really shit situation I didn't cope very well but this is what's helping me now mm. um I know it's so it's so confronting and it's so hard but if if just listening to this or listening to to someone else share their story I think if that can help someone Mm. and I think you've hit it on the head there in terms of the fact that people feel shame around 
mental health and they shouldn't have to feel that way. You know, everybody has a story and probably everybody to some degree suffers at some point in their life with some sort of mental health issue. Um, but in terms of motherhood and women, we see it so commonly, um, especially around having babies and, and especially around having a traumatic experience such as you have both times. Um, and there is no shame in that. And there's no shame in, in owning those feelings and sharing about that when you're comfortable with those that you can share that with. And, and thank you for being so vulnerable to share that with us, you know, to be open enough to share that with us because I know that's a hard thing for you to do, um, especially when people, you know, see you and they, and probably people probably think, oh, Amy is just such an amazing runner and she's got it all together and they would never know that this is the struggle that you've been going through privately. But I think in sharing this, you just make it so um, easy for people to understand and resonate with your story who might be going through it as well. So I think it's so important that as women we're open and it's just people that we're open to sharing about these issues around mental health because everybody is probably dealing with some private battle i'm really proud of you that you have been open enough to share that and i know we've talked about it a lot but even even talking to you just in our own private discussions you've never really opened up as much as you just did but even just to be yeah relatable to people i think as you said, yeah, being vulnerable and honest. And they say, like, sometimes your social media stranger best, can become your best friends. But some messages that I, when I was in the Tresillion, just messages that I got from other mums, oh, I'm going through this too. Or just, yeah, making it more real. There's one wonderful lady, I won't say her name, but um, she was at the hospital and she was there scanning people for COVID to check their temperatures. And I was in such a daze and sleep deprived and I was going in, going in to see Jim to the hospital. I have no idea what the hell it was. And she just said, hi, Amy, I'm from RMA. I've been following your story and I just want to say you're doing great. And I just burst into tears. This poor lady was probably like, oh, God, I didn't mean for that to happen. Um, but it was just, yeah, just hearing her say that, I was just like, I, the only words I could say, I was like, thank you. And then I like had to leave, but it was just, it was just so nice. Like, mm. but yeah, she'd gone out of her way. She's there scanning people with COVID. And then mm. he said that, and I was like, oh, that's, that's just so lovely. It's like the sisterhood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's strong. <laughs> that's beautiful. So what has life been like now since having Jemima? Obviously, Jemima is how old is almost one actually yeah yeah so I think I was like? <laughs> crazy and like almost fitting that we're doing this now because I, I think I've had a lot of anxiety about um Jemima turning one um when yeah we're still been battling um we're still really tiny we're still having troubles putting on weight we have weigh-in Wednesdays um and lots of doctor's appointments and to me, yeah, she's still in size like three to six month old clothes and I'm like, oh, she's not turning one. And I even said to Ben, like, oh, I don't want to have her first birthday. He's like, no, we have to, we have to. Um, 
and I think yeah a bit selfish selfishly like oh I'm not ready to celebrate celebrate her turning one um so we're going to have a celebration not a first birthday Mm -hmm. um but I think yeah I I think I've still got a long a lot of things to work through and a long way to go um Mm -hmm. but I just yeah can't believe that the past year has just been crazy two under two just with any family would say that that's really tough and then yeah two two premiers under two and then COVID and then we moved and um I've just gone back to work and it's um yeah the juggle of the kids and then there's the mum guilt and we're literally we're just getting by um every day that I drop the kids off at school we call it daycare um am I doing the right thing and going back to work and then the flip side is I'm like no I'm doing it to help provide the best life for them and that's the mum guilt that creeps in again you know we all have it we're always thinking we're not doing enough and we're not doing the right thing and we look around and we see everyone else and we compare and and that and really we're just doing what we can <laughs> and our yeah. best is enough I think it's amazing what you're doing right now <laughs> and have done in the last 12 months and how far you have come as well um, in this journey that you've been on and that I've been privileged to share in with you um, what about your running at the moment is there anything that you're working towards that we can follow along yeah so my big kind of goal race that I um, Again, post jam, I was like, I'm running another half marathon. Um, so it's the Gold Coast, which is in gosh, three and a half weeks now. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I think, yeah, every morning when I'm like, oh God, we haven't had any sleep and we're yeah. teething. And Henry, I'm like, no, like you are working towards this goal. Um, you can have a break post this goal, but you've you set, set it out to do it. So no matter what happens, we will achieve it. So every those 90k weeks and those late night track sessions by myself and Mm. running at all hours just to to make sure that I can still do that whilst being a mum and whilst working and so I'm very excited and regardless of what happens I'm excited to hopefully touch wood um get up to the Gold Coast and and see all the other RMAs and see you and and see Anna and yeah yeah we can't wait to follow that like I'm excited for you. You're ready and you're pumped yeah. and the family will be there. And we'll all be there. Yeah. Yeah. Just watch this space, everybody. <laughs> It'll be exciting. And like, yes, touch wood, the COVID gods let us go. Um, yes. In half weeks. Like, let's just get there now. But yeah, I'm excited to follow that. And you worked really hard towards this goal. And you're right. You sent me these pictures of you running on the track, like by yourself in the cold Monday night. I think that's the thing about running. Everybody knows it's going to hurt. Um, and I think why I've now found strength in the, the longer distances is because I, I think one of my strengths is my mental toughness. Mm. And I know that I can push even when it hurts. And I know that I'm not going to give up even when it hurts. Um, and I've been practicing a little bit more, some positive self-talk, um, instead of letting negative knowledge jump on my back, which I know will probably still happen, but looking at ways to to manage that rather than spiraling into a negative hole, to be like, what 
tools can I put in place that will, will help my mental side, which will then ultimately help my running. Mm, I love that. I'm looking forward to debriefing with you after the half marathon to hear about which tools you pulled out. Because yeah. it will get hard, you know. It will. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to that conversation. Well, thanks for sharing with us, Amy. Thank you for being so open. And where can people follow along your journey? Yes, well, I'm not much of a Facebook fan at the moment. I'm at the moment. I think because my mom posts anything I put on there, she shares about a thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> and then likes it and then <laughs> she's all about the Facebook. Um, but I definitely post a lot more on Instagram. Um, so Oh my god, I'm trying to think what my name is. I think I've it's changed um a few times. So it's Amy Runner Mama yeah. RMA. Yeah. Um and I post yeah, lots of running, lots of the kids. Pretty much, yeah, it's the kids and me running. <laughs> um, <laughs> I try and take some photos of Ben, he's not much of a fan of Instagram, but if I get a sneaky photo of him, I, I normally put it up there as well. I know. Poor Ben. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I will put that in the show notes anyway so people can follow along and also follow on your journey to the Gold Coast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I hope you loved listening to Amy O'Halloran and her story and how premature babies have affected her life and how a foundation like Running for Premature Babies can help the most vulnerable in our community. Now I'll share with you a perspective of someone who had a premature baby 44 years ago, and that is my mum, Judy Schulstad. Hi, mum. <laughs> Welcome to the RMA podcast. Why, well, thank you. I wanted to have you on because <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about the experience of having a premature baby because this yeah. podcast episode is discussing issues around prematurity and um, what it's like to be a parent who goes through having a baby um, that is premature and what that actually entails. We'll be discussing the role of running for premature babies, which is the foundation that we want to support. So mm-hmm. I thought it would be great to have the insight from somebody who obviously is a mother, but is someone who's had premature babies. You've had two, because obviously for those that don't know, I'm a twin and I have a twin sister, Melanie. But from the perspective of what it was like to have a premature baby 44 years ago, because obviously uh-huh. the advancement of medicine now has come a long way and things are very different now to what they were like when we were born. Um, and so I thought it would be really good to have the perspective of a parent who had dealt with premature birth um, you know, in the past compared to what that actually looks like now but obviously there's still a lot of trauma and work that still needs to be done in this space so I thought it'd be great to compare the two eras I guess um, Mm -hmm. around this issue so firstly I wanted to ask you can you share a little bit about your experience because it was a little bit different to most people that have who find out they're pregnant and are having a baby Um, you found out rather late that you were having twins. Do you want to just quickly tell the listeners a little bit about that experience? I did. I found out at about 30, 31 weeks. Um, and basically because ultrasounds like they are today, the normal run of the mill, were very rare. And I was sent by my specialist, my 
gynecologist to have an ultrasound which was only done in Sydney in two hospitals and my hospital that I went to was at Paddington Women's Hospital and totally different type of machine as well to what they are today. But um, she sent me there because I, my first child, Prey, your brother, was a nine-pound, one baby. So he was a big baby and I was big again. And she could only hear one heartbeat, but she just wanted to confirm that it was just a big baby. And so she sent me there for an ultrasound. And when I said to the girl that did the ultrasound, so I'm just having another big baby, she just looked at me and went, no, dear, you're having two. Hmm. And that's how I found out. (laughs) So what did you do in that moment? Like, did you laugh? Did you cry? Like, how did you respond to her telling you you were having a bit of bit of both, really. I actually just got dressed and your father didn't come because he was at work and Grandma Gunnell came with me and I just walked out to the waiting room and looked at her and put up two fingers and cried because <laughs> 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 so, it was so totally unexpected because it really wasn't in either side of the family that we knew of at that time. Because we had moved to Campbelltown, we had moved to Campbelltown in the December. You were born in the January. My specialist said to me at that stage, then I don't want you at Campbelltown. So I went to um, stay with Grandma Goodell during the week and then Dad would pick us up and bring Craig and I back to our place in Campbelltown for the weekend. And he had just picked us up and we had just arrived back at Campbelltown and put Craig to bed And I was standing by the bedside and just sort of went, oh, I didn't feel like I wanted to go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. and my water had broken. So he rang the specialist and she said, get straight to the hospital. And he made it from Campbelltown without freeways in 35 minutes to St George Hospital. It's pretty fast considering it was. there were no freeways back then. It would probably take about 35 minutes with the freeway now. Yeah. <laughs> so how many weeks was, how many weeks old, no. So how many weeks pregnant were you when you went into labour? I was, they say, between 32 to 34 weeks. Um, yeah, just by the size of you kids. So right. you and Melanie, yeah. Yeah. So they weren't really 100% sure. Sure. Um, yeah. What kind of what kind of feelings were going through your head when you went into premature labor? Were you scared? Were you excited? Oh, yeah, no, scared, shocked. Like something that wasn't I wasn't expecting at that time because a lot of people, yes, they can have premier babies when you you have twins, but you can still go sort of say 36, 38 weeks before you have them. Well, this was even earlier than that. And it turned out um, that Melanie was ready to come and you weren't. You wanted to stay right where you were. I had started to dilate. Um, That was about midnight on this Friday night. At 11 o'clock on the Saturday morning, Melanie was born foot first, breech. So she was delivered and then the cervix closed after that and you um, were in trouble, basically. So they put me straight out 
um, and talk to you by cesarean. And so do you remember much about that time? Obviously, you were put under a general anaesthetic to have mm. yes. a normal and uh, instead of what they do now, which would be like a um, epidural. epidural. So what do you remember when you woke up? Uh, when I woke up, I was told that I had two daughters, but you were in the fight of your life, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you had actually had um, cardiac arrest while you were still inside. And that's why you've got little scar on your chest because you had tubes and everything in you. Melanie was uh, in the old scale, four pound twelve. You were three pound twelve, um, which is seventeen hundred and twenty grams and fourteen hundred and twenty grams, I think, from memory. And um, we were told not to expect you to live, but Melanie was doing fine. Mm. So, were you able to see us? Shortly after that or no? Uh, I was taken in in a wheelchair because I'd just had the caesarean, but you were in humidity cribs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah, we were taken in and um, saw you and um, held your little hand mm-hmm. through the little <laughs> humidity crib things and that, but you were very, very tiny. And you also still had, and I don't recall the name of what it is called, but the body hair that's normally shed before birth. You yeah. still had that on you, yeah, like the down. Mm. And that, yeah, you were still covered in that. Mm. So what kind of feelings, you know, this is the reason I wanted to talk about this with you because everyone's experience with having a premature baby is different. And obviously, firstly, you didn't know you were going to be having twins. So that was a mm. Secondly, you know, just a few weeks later, you went into premature labour um, and delivered two babies, one of them which was, I mean, semi-healthy, and the other one who was, mm. you know, they told you that I was not going to make it. You know, obviously you in those moments, what were your emotions like and what were you thinking about during that time? And also how did Dad cope with that as well? I guess in one way we were stunned. And in another way, we were, you know, obviously very, very concerned for you. Um, And I think we were just very, very lucky to have family, supportive family around us, supportive friends around us and a lot of prayer. Mm. Yeah, particularly for you. Mm. Yeah. And that's what we lent on at that time. So what yeah. were those coming weeks like, you know, actually what were those coming days like after you were told that news? They were, they were, they were hard. Um, about two days later, the paediatrician came in and said that um, you were a fighter and that you would make it, that you would live, but you would be in the humidity group for at least six weeks. You were out in a week and that's how much a fighter you are. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> but you were still very tiny. Um, I always remember when they finally let us hold you and you were, you just sat in the, basically in the palm of your father's hand. Mm. You were that small, yeah. But um, it was lovely to be able to hold both of you. Um, Melanie also was only in the humidity crib for a couple of days as well. Mm. And um, 
you had you were like a lot of other babies. You got jaundice, um, so you had to have be under the the light. Um, I had to go on the what I call the cow mm-hmm. to to um, bottle my milk mm-hmm. um, because you were too tiny, obviously, to um, go on the breast, and so um, you got the milk that way. Um, so it was lovely to be able to to hold you and to feed you and to change you and not be in the humidity crib anymore. Mm. Um, but the hardest part was going home without you because mm. you had to stay in hospital mm. when I came home. Yeah. Well, you still seem a little bit emotional about that <laughs> all these years later. Oh, my mum's tearing up. Yeah. So what yeah. was it like for you when you did go home without us? Very empty. Yeah, yeah, very empty, very, very hard. Um, but, but also knowing that you were there and you, and you were on your way to being healthy. Yeah. And this is why it's so important to talk about these things because I think so many women don't talk about them. And especially when you've been, when you've gone through a traumatic experience like that. Mm. Um, even all these years later, it's something that stayed with you that, you know, you could have lost your baby and some people, oh, do, definitely. Some people do lose your baby, which is something we will be talking about in, in regards to our conversation with Sophie in this podcast coming mm. ahead. But, you know, it is something that a lot of women don't expect to happen in their pregnancy, yet it's so common. Mm. Um, and I guess a lot of women don't have the support structure around them like you were so lucky to have with our family. You know, obviously when you had us, like when you went through that birth experience and they said mm. that I had the cardiac arrests and things like that. And yeah, you're right. I still do have those scars on my chest actually. Mm. Um, did we have any other health complications from being born so early? No, you're very lucky really. You, you, you didn't have what, you'd call um, health complications, but you took three years to catch up, mm. whereas Melanie Melanie still was um, a little bit more advanced in respect she, because she was bigger as well. She only took 12 months to get to the milestones where you should be for a 12-month-old, but you took three years to get to, mm. to those milestones. And that, but, you know, in walking, talking, and things like that, you met the milestones fairly well. Or a little bit later, mm. but still you you did it without too much of a problem. Mm. Which is pretty um, amazing, really, when you think is. about how tiny we were and the technology that they even had. Mm. Yep. So if you were to give somebody advice now that was having to deal with having a premature baby as a parent and as a mother of two premature babies... Mm. What advice would you give a mother that's dealing with this situation? I just think support is one of the biggest things, really. You just look after yourself and do what you can to you make to prepare yourself for even um, just to, just for having a baby. You prepare yourself, and if the possibility arises, I guess that your baby is born prematurely that you have that support around you just to deal with whatever the situation may arise from that premature birth. 
Well, there you have it. Two amazing women in very different worlds, but with a similar experience. And I just wanted to thank Amy and my mum for sharing their stories so openly because something as traumatic as having a premature baby stays with you forever. And this is why Running for Premature Babies exists, so that we can provide support to these families and to the hospitals that these families inhabit. So if you jump over to the show notes, I'll put there the link to Running for Premature Babies. You can find them at runningforprematurebabies.com. And also I'll put in the show notes the link to Amy's Instagram where you can follow her journey as well. There was so much we had to say in our conversation that I didn't get to include in this podcast because it was quite long already um, about Amy's journey and her running. So we might have to record another episode another time. But I'm just so thankful that Amy shared her journey around having two premature babies with us and the support that we can provide this foundation. On the next episode of the podcast, I really look forward to bringing you the most beautiful story around Sophie Smith and her journey to creating Running for Premature Babies in honour of her beautiful triplets, Henry, Jasper and Evan. If you'd like to support Running for Premature Babies, please jump over to the website. Also, you can follow me on my own Instagram, which is RMA, and I'm actually running my ultra in October at the Heisen 115 kilometer event raising funds for running for premature babies so if you want to jump on there you can fundraise um, on the link in my profile and those funds will go directly to running for premature babies thanks guys for always listening please share this podcast with your friends and i look forward to bringing you the next installment in two weeks time